0: Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is actually someone that's located near me in Iowa, Dan Rother. I've had the opportunity to see Dan in a few different tournaments and events, just walking around or actually recently officiating. And he would always come up and say hi, and we would just talk about the game and what's been going on recently. I went to one of his showcases with Top Student Athlete Recruiting, which we will talk more about Top Student Athlete Recruiting and his journey and the recruiting business later. But I had so much fun at the showcase. It was a great opportunity for me to get back out playing and prepare for this upcoming high school season. I am done with my college search and my done with my recruit, recruiting process, but many others aren't yet. And I think it was a great opportunity for others that still aren't done with the recruiting process. They were able to learn about more colleges and possibly talk to college coaches. So it was a great environment for everyone involved and I had so much fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today's guest is Dan Rother. Dan spent a long time at Loris College. He was the head's woman's coach first, then became the head men's coach and also the associate athletic director. Dan is a board member of the Dubuque Soccer Alliance and the founder of Key City Soccer Club. He has his A license and he is the president and founder of Top Student Athlete Recruiting. Dan, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today.
1: Well, that is a lot of uh, a lot of things I got going on, I guess. But um no, yeah, you know, I got into coaching at a, at a young age and uh while well, I was in college and kind of uh, found a passion and and followed some great mentors and you know, I was coached at Loris by um, Eric Johnson, uh, who was at Western Illinois and he kinda of was my first real soccer coach. I had played my whole life in high school and club. And back then it was more, uh, club was more of a, you know, a parent run thing and coaches were parents and and that type of thing. And then, then high school, you know, I kind of still had the same thing. I had some dads that are high school coaches and things like that. And then I got my first real taste of a professional coach. I would call it, um, when Eric became my coach and really just saw the light that that was, uh, something I wanted to do and I was fortunate enough to to be in Iowa where you could um, play fall college soccer and get your feet wet coaching some high school in the spring which doesn't work in every state and uh, we'll talk more about that later but uh, you know, that was definitely advantageous and and getting me some experience when I was young and, and then propelled me into uh, some opportunities right out of college and landed at Loris at a very young age, back at Loris at a very young age to be the head coach, and I spent uh, 22 years doing that, and now I have my hands in a bunch of different things, and, uh, you know, a club that my kids play in, and and then a recruiting service that uh, is my full-time job.
0: On this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. First, what does the beautiful game mean to you?
1: a great question i've been thinking about this anna because i know you asked this question um for me it means i think there's so many different aspects to the game and styles of play and things like that and that's the beautiful thing to me is, is you can love the game and you could play you know almost a totally different sport than another team you know in terms of it. the only you know same things are you're trying to put the ball in the back of your net with, with your feet or your head and can't use your hands, right? But it's, I think the beautiful game is there's so many different ways to play it. Um, there is just such a, a diverse uh, group of people playing it around the world. And the passion runs, you know, deeper than I would say any sport worldwide, obviously. And, you know, those things make it beautiful to me
0: what are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I like to make the game more accessible. I think that's one thing that is, is important to me. So, uh, Key City Soccer Association, I'm trying to kind of flip the script a little bit on the pay-to-play model. Um, I'm trying to... Open up opportunities for kids who might not normally get to play on a travel team and have more scholarship opportunities, but also keep the cost low so it's not a, a burden to families and, and uh, hunt the scholarships or sponsorship opportunities so kids can, you know, find, uh, we can lower the price and the cost so more kids can play. And, and that's a huge part of it for me another piece of it is on the recruiting side you know I think there's a place that for anybody that wants to play in college and you know I'm helping kids you know not just your top level D1 kids but I'm trying to help kids who just want to play just want to be on the team and they love the game that much and that's important to me and opening uh, one of the things I've started is some showcases and I had a showcase my first one back in December and you know $35 dollars come and get in front of a lot of college coaches and and keep the cost low so that, you know, more people can attend and it's an affordable option and we're not pricing out kids who want that opportunity to get in front of college coaches. So I think, you know, trying to make it more accessible is a huge piece for me.
0: How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful?
1: Yeah, well, I will, you know, I definitely encourage others to, to get in the game, you know, uh, whether it's volunteer uh, for, for adults or, you know, coaches and things like that, um, or to pursue passions, you know, in coaching. I think that was a big thing that I did as a college coach and as a, as a mentor there and, and tried to help. You know, you may not be a, a soccer person or someone who is able to coach, but can you, um, certainly sponsor our team but can you help out so we can make this more affordable for others and and try to explain you know we don't want to make that situation price somebody out or things like that so it's not just soccer people that um per se it's others that or people that don't have i guess the experience that can go on and coach and referee and things like that you can you can help in other ways and you can you know make grow the game and, and get more people playing and and those type of things through other means. So that's a big piece of it, um, volunteering or donating your time, talent, your treasure, whatever it might be. Um, Another thing is, you know, I'm trying to pursue, get a lot of young kids refereeing too, like um, kids in our key city, you know, encouraging them to pursue referee licenses. And I think that's another part of it. In addition to playing, I think, you know, understanding – referees and you know, obviously there's shortages of those, but I think, you know, another piece of that puzzle is to, you know, if you see what a referee goes through on a daily basis, then, you know, you're more apt not to be a complaint. I think that's another part of it. There's so many ways you can get involved in the game, which is, which is really cool. Um, so just trying to let people know that there's a lot of different opportunities out there, whether it's, um, coaching, refereeing, volunteering, um, donating—whatever it might be—you know, let people know those opportunities, and, and then, you know, you, you gotta aggressively seek them out. You can't just put them out there and people are gonna take them. You know, you have to explain to them why this is important, and and uh, I think that's something that I've, I try to do, and uh, with Key City, with with everything I do, really.
0: Starting off a little bit, can you talk about top student athlete recruiting and why you started it?
1: Sure thing, Anna. I uh, top student athlete recruiting um, is my new full time job. It's uh, helping prospective student athletes, kids that want to play sports in college, particularly soccer players. You know, I'd say ninety percent of the people I work with are soccer players because that's my wheelhouse. Find a great fit opportunity for them to attend college and and play the sport they love. I think that's something that um, I saw so many mistakes when I was a coach Um, as a recruiter. I saw so many mistakes that uh, players made or prospects made in a process or didn't know how to do it and ended up not playing in college or, you know, all these different uh, errors that occurred and I, or I always wondered why that kid chose one place over another or over my school and you know and i was trying to get to the bottom of that and and so i really wanted to help because i saw errors in in this process and and you know a lot of overshooting a lot of hey i'm vision one or bus attitude and then another another one that i'm not good enough attitude you know there wasn't a place for me and, and i think both are wrong right i think yeah. Uh, got to look at a diverse group of options and, and see what's out there and you got to go where you're recruited where you're wanted and, and that's a big piece of it too but it also has to tick all your boxes and hey, is it the right place for you academically and does it challenge you correctly is it the right majors do they have the right majors do they have you know the opportunities that you want you know do you want to play right away or are you okay waiting for a while and playing maybe on a better team or you know, cost of college is a huge thing, right? So trying to help them reduce the cost of college and educating on that end of things too. So those are all things that I saw families struggle with and I wanted to help out in that means. And then, and then the pandemic, you know, came and, uh, you know, there's even more panic, I guess I should say, because there's less opportunities, you know, for the next four years for, kids going to college because of the NCAA and NAIA junior college all granted extra years of eligibility. So that makes it uh, even more challenging for these kids. So trying to help them and their families is is a big important factor for me.
0: With these weird COVID times, what can players do to get seen?
1: That's a great, uh, great question. A challenging question. I was just, uh, at a showcase today in Chicago Land, and you know the first time a lot of these kids have been seen. Uh, film is going to be really important, right? So I think getting some game film, one way or another, um, whether your your team is going to an event or you're going to an individual event, or your teams having scrimmages, um, you know, finding ways to to get video so that you can send it out to college coaches because not all college coaches obviously like division one's been on a dead period and they still are um they can't go out and evaluate and then there's certain colleges that can't go evaluate right like there's certain colleges have rules and they're not letting their coaches go out and evaluate so having some game film having a highlight film made where you you know show your your strengths um you know two to three minutes at the most and then that maybe wants them to is encourage you know it gets the bait I guess it gets you in the door with a coach to maybe them want to come see you play live when they can, or you know ask you for a full game film so they can really see what you do and how you play if they can't come see you play live. And so I think film is a really important piece. I think um, you know another piece is is just you know encouraging coaches, uh, letting them know the opportunities that are out there asking them what they suggest um, you know when when ID camps and things like that start opening back up at colleges here hopefully hopefully this spring and summer you know um, you know there's gonna be a lot of opportunity to go to the college campuses and, and be seen there and there's events like the one I you know was just at or the one I ran a couple months ago in in, uh, in Davenport and you know, where you can sign up on your own to go to some events and that might be, you know, being proactive is a huge piece of the recruiting process in general, it's not just, you know, being seen part, but it's getting your name in front of college coaches so that they can, they can decide if they're interested. In you. And I think that's a huge part is that you need to be proactive. Coaches don't just show up at your games. Coaches don't just show up at showcases. games. You need to tell them you're going to be there. You need to tell them what time you're playing, where you're playing, what color Uniform and number you are, and, and those type of things. So, being a proactive uh, you know, prospect is, is a very important part of it.
0: When players show up to showcases like you had just a while back, what should they do and how should they present themselves to college coaches?
1: That's important to tell coaches what you're going to be at because, um, you know, coaches are going to look for you at those events. Or, you know, I think another part of that, too is coaches may be on the fence about attending an event or thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to go to that one. I don't have anybody playing in it. Or I don't have a, you know, I only have one player playing in it, but they know about so Maybe they don't know the list of players or, or things like that in advance. So letting college coaches know you're going to be at something uh, a, you know, if they are already in attendance, they know to look for you. Um, they may be able to talk to you if you're old enough and, and, uh, and the timing is right after, an ev- after the event. Um, but, you know, additionally, it might open the door that eh, I wasn't really thinking I was going to go to that, but I need to see that kid play. Um, you know, that's an important part of it too. And, and coaches will go to events where they can see multiple kids at one time, you know, or at least at one, one trip, right. They, they can go see a handful of players on one trip. Um, You know, that beats driving to Chicago five times for me, you know, when I was coaching at Morris. So um, if I can go see five kids at the same time at the same place, uh, that's an important part of it too. So I think, again, it's that proactive piece. It's that piece where, you know, you're reaching out in advance of events and you're telling coaches, this is what I got going on. Hey, coach, this is my my high school season's coming up. You know, here's my schedule. Uh, But how does your schedule look too? You know, ask them, how do I – I think a big, uh, a great question, you know, is to ask is, you know, how do, I, how do I get recruited by it? How do I move forward in this process with you, coach? Uh, maybe you send in that initial text or, or email, a direct message, and, you know, you introduce yourself a little bit, but then how do you, you know, ask them what's next? I think that's a really big part of it because each coach is a little bit different than what is next. Some it's filmed. Some it's send send the schedule. Some it's fill out the questionnaire. Some it's give me some references so I can call and and see if you might be a good fit. Um, You know, everyone's going to have a little bit different take on that. So I think that's a great question to ask.
0: What makes top student athlete recruiting different from other programs?
1: It's a personalized approach. Um, You get me. You know the players that work with me, and the student athletes that work with me. I work with top student athlete. Work with me. Um, you know, it's someone who's uh, you know spent the uh, you know 25 years on the other side of the coach's desk and knows how this process works. From you know how to maximize exposure to how to save money on college costs to uh, what you should be doing at what time and. You know, so I think that personalized approach where I'm a partner and I really help facilitate this process from start to finish. And I think that, you know, a lot of people need that. And a lot of people, it's kind of like I tell, you know, a lot of families that I work with is they're like, well, this has been really, you know, really wonderful. It's been helpful. And I don't know that my son or daughter would have done that without you because, you know, mom and dad telling you to do something Anna is a little bit different than your teacher or coach telling you something to do telling you to do something or asking you hey this is what we're going to do next or are telling you we can work together this um, here's what the process looks like here's what you need to be doing and when it's there you know someone that's not their mom and dad it's sometimes a little bit easier to, to navigate and to make sure something gets done so I think that's that's a big part of it too, but it's that personalized process. I think another part of it is my connections, right? So, um, I was on the other side for 25 years, I, I know a lot, a lot of coaches. And if I don't know them, I'm probably one person away from them. Um, you know, and I can, I can connect that way. So I think that's another thing that I can use to my advantage. Um, you know, I do work on behalf of the student athletes to get them in front of, um, you know, coaches that are, are good fits and, and programs that might be good fits for them. And, you know, knowing I also get to know the players personally, not just personality-wise and what they're looking for. Um, you know, especially, you know, 90% of them, the ones that are in the Midwest and within driving distance, you know, I'm going to go out and see them play. And I'm going to know their level of play. So when I call coaches, I can give a honest assessment, you know this player I think is a good fit and this is why and it's not just me watching two to three it's the same two to three minute highlight video that the coach has been watching I've seen him play a full game I've seen the things that maybe you can't see on video Um, that's a big part of it too and then I do help with video I have uh I bought a video camera you know if someone needs that game tape to send out to coaches I can help with that um you know that's Another piece to the puzzle that I can bring to the table. So, I think it's like the personalized approach and just knowing exactly what needs to be done, and then help guiding you through this process. It is, you know, a first major life decision, if not the first major life decision. And uh, you know, you know, I always I use the analogy that you know, you wouldn't, if you didn't know how to fix your car, you wouldn't just take your car apart and try to fix it, right? Or if you were in trouble with the law, you would probably get a lawyer, you know, and that's a big, cause it's a big deal. And both of those are big deals and they cost a lot of money. Well, if you're navigating the college process and, you know, you might need some help. And so there are people like me that can help you.
0: How can people reach out to you to get help with their recruiting process?
1: Yeah, uh, they can, a uh, couple different ways. Uh, email is, one word, and it's really long, so I probably should shorten it. It's uh, Recruiting at gmail.com. So Recruiting all one word, at gmail.com. Or my phone number, you know, uh, 563-564-6122, or even a, a message on Facebook or, or Twitter would be great. So any of those ways, or you can go on the website, which is uh, topstudentathleterecruiting.com, and there's a, there's a place to contact me, so.
0: So before you were at, you started Top Student Athlete Recruiting, you were at Loras College for a long time. What was it like transitioning from coaching to now helping with recruiting?
1: You know, it's uh, a great question. Um, you know, I didn't originally intend to go into the recruiting side, so I was going to go into the travel side. Um, I had taken my teams to Costa Rica um, seven times. Every three years, the NCAA grants um, – Opportunities to go abroad. And so I decided I was going to uh, work in a situation where I could help with that. And then after that, pandemic hit, right? I get ready to start with that job, and, and that opportunity was going to be unbelievable with some great friends of mine in Costa Rica. and then um, pandemic hit. so I had to rethink kind of what I was doing. I had all thought all along about the recruiting thing. You know, it was just a bigger leap because I was going to kind of start my own thing. Um, and it was a bigger leap of faith in that regard. And and so I had kind of had it planned on the back burner a little bit, had some ideas, and, um, some notes written and how things I wanted it to look and stuff like that. So, um, but how is it, you know, it's definitely different. You know, I set at a showcase today and I was on the other side and I was talking to families and they're asking me how this thing works and I'm trying to give them, you know, great information about the process and what they can do to, to present themselves in a better light to college coaches and things like that. And, you know, and I'm not chasing the, the 18 to 22 year old decision an 18 year old decision as much anymore. Like, you know, you either want to work with me or you, or you don't. And and that's fine. Um, But I'm, you know, trying to, you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about, I guess, you know, What decision, the final decision the 18 to 22 year old makes, that's not, you know, that's going to be up to them. And hopefully they're going to have a selective process and things like that. But I guess it's changed a lot because I was always like, I wanted them to go to Loris, right? I was very selective and I wanted them to be selective. I wanted them to, you know, I didn't want them to look at a wide array of options because I thought my option should be their best option. And then now I'm trying to say, hey, you know what have you looked at all your options are you looking at diverse group here, diverse options here so you can be selective in the process um you know so it, it's it's flipped things a little bit in that regard but i think it
0: you know hopefully
1: uh you know super helpful to families and, and i always said this and like my whole goal as a college coach was always to help kids find the best four years of their lives hopefully that was at loris if it wasn't you know um and that's okay too Um, you know, find everything in college they wanted and more, you know, they needed to find a place where they could find, you know, ticked all the boxes for them, like I mentioned before, but they might find even more. They might find a passion they didn't even know they had, um, you know, or find a a hobby or a major that they didn't even know existed. And then kind of springboard them for the rest of their life. They're on the career path they desired and, and they're on a great path for the rest of their life. And college is that launching pad. And, and i want to do that today now too you know maybe even more so cuz now it's a, a broader picture i'm not just working with you know bringing in 15 athletes a year you know i'm bringing in you know i'm working with more than that and i'm trying to help them find that amazing opportunity so um, i think there's a lot of similarities but obviously it's just sitting on the other side of the desk in terms of you know the recruitment process but you know helping connect these players and things like that has been been really rewarding
0: a while back actually at one of your showcases you had kind of talked to me about loris college and that you played in an ugly way can you talk more about this and kind of what you told me that day
1: yeah so uh, you know I, i think we were uh you know bantering a little bit that day and and you know your your name of your podcast obviously um keep the game beautiful um you know, and, and my system of play, you know, got knocked a lot um, by a lot of people. But although it was very successful and very uh, efficient in my eyes, uh, but it got knocked by a lot of soccer, if you would call them quote unquote purists, um, because we we played uh, a different game and, and kind of just manipulated the rules to play to our advantage so that. You know we would have the best opportunity to win and that was what you know for me it was division three college soccer it was you know i don't know that um many a couple did we went on to play at, at the professional level um but that being said we weren't in the market of preparing kids to play professional we were preparing them to hopefully compete for big things and we we did we had a great you know great run of success you know um over my career and you know on the men's side a lot of final fours and between the men's and women's teams you know 20 some conference championships and and just a ton of success not we didn't play this way every time but the last 10 years or so of my career um i was trying to find a way to win a national championship right and we had uh we had some really good teams 2007 2008 my men's team went to the final four we lost both times um and the second time we lost to messiah who was in Kind of the the gold standard of of college soccer, to be honest. Not just Division three, but they they had won you know, eight out of ten national championships, and you know that ten year span or something crazy like that. And they beat us. Um, they played a really nice, you know, possession style game, but they played a ton of guys and subbed a, subbed a ton and kept guys fresh and believed in everybody. And we were at the time at at Loris we were really good. We'd made two Final Fours in a row, and uh, we just weren't deep enough to compete with them. You know, we might have been 14 or 15 deep, and if we had an injury or two, we were really struggling, and, or at least we weren't going to compete at that national championship level. So it took a couple of years to get that off the ground, and, um, and I wanted to get deeper, so I recruited more heavily to bring in more bodies that can all play. Um, and then... You know, decided one time, about 2011, that we were going to make this move um, to this style of play. And, you know, we had to get a lot of buy-in from a lot of players who were used to playing 90 minutes and kind of being the go-to guys the whole game. We had to teach them, you know, some some different ways. And, and yeah, it was was unique. And so I'll tell you some of the details of it, you know. And um, I don't know if you want to call them rules per se, but we had a lot of rules in the, in the system and, and how it all worked, but we always played forward. We always wanted to go forward. Like We would never pass backwards. If we did pass one quick time backwards, it would be to go forward. Uh, we had a rule. We couldn't pass back to our goalkeeper. I mean, I know passing, playing back to a goalkeeper is pretty pretty popular these days. That was the last person I wanted playing with the ball, because it's A, it's farthest from the goal, and B, they're the least trained with their feet. So, um, you know, that was kind of my philosophy was let's get it off that player. I wanted to get it downfield as far as possible, um, as quickly as possible, and then we're going to press and win it back. And our pressure was so intense that it was very, very difficult for anybody to play um, 90 minutes, uh, much less, you know, a 45-minute half. It would be very rare if anybody except minus one or two players could play in that system and last for a whole, uh, half, you know, so you had to sub, you had to believe in the next person in and you had to cheer on the next person in. And that was, and you know, that's a slap to the, to the ego. And that's hard for people who are used to been playing, you know, whole games, their whole lives and kind of being the go-to people. But with that type of intense pressure defense, where we're trying to win it back deep in our territory, at least force them to make a mistake or force them to kick it out of bounds. Um, You know, I call it a field position game, and we wanted to, we wanted to, if we are going to lose the ball, we wanted to lose it on the other end of the field, where it couldn't hurt us nearly as badly, and I always wanted to end everything in a shot. I didn't want to work to have the perfect shot, where we might get countered on, because we held it too long, um, counterattacks were dangerous in our system, and, you know, so putting the ball forward, goalkeepers always punted, goal kicks always went big, um, you know, people you know, would call it kickball, you know, things like that. But it was, it was certainly effective. And we played in the, in the attacking half. I mean, if, if people, you know, when we got to the attacking half, we had some kids that could flat out play. And uh, we were all about taking your one-on-one and winning your one-on-one battle. We played man-for-man defense, which was really unique. Um, kind of old school, like man marking. We're going to mark your forwards. We're going to have a sweeper. Uh, and our sweeper sat back and just gobbled everything up, kind of like a, a free safety in football, and and, uh, and oftentimes just launched it right back down on the other team. And then, uh, and then again, we'd win it back and deep in our territory, and then we'd play, you know, and then we'd create options. And, and But we didn't want to, you know, as I told people, if you want to go somewhere, we're going to connect 30 passes, we're not the place. We might connect five or six passes and get a shot, and that would be a lot of passes probably. It's probably more like two to four, and then we're going to get a shot off. Um, I wanted to end things in a shot so that, you know, uh, everything ended without a counterattack. So if you shoot, it's either going to go in the back of the net and you got a goal, so there's no counterattack. It goes over the end line and it's either a goal kick or a corner kick or the goalie catches it and usually slows the game down. and It's a punt or it's a, they're going to roll it out. And so we were able to get back defensively if we ended it that way. So those are all, like, little rules that we had, um, you know, that that were different. But part of it is because in college soccer, the substitution rules played, you know, that was one of the things that we used to our advantage, like, in subbing. um, You know, somewhat unlimited subs. You know, if you subbed out in the first half, you were done for the first half. So we would, you know, we would utilize a lot of players in the first half. Oftentimes, our forwards, you know, we would go – three deep at each forward position because we were, you know, running that hard that we we're going to play nine forwards in the first half. In the second half, the starters could go back in. So typically we'd go with the, the starting group, then the second group would come back in and the starters would go back in to finish the game. Um, but, uh, you know, and every game was different. And I think that's a huge thing too. We were so adaptable um, that, you know, we could play three forwards. We could play two forwards. We could play, four in the back. We could play four up top. I played, you know, some crazy systems when people, people packed it in against us. We just put another number up front, um, you know, maybe play four forwards, five forwards, just, we're going to find a way to win. We're not going to, we're going to throw the kitchen sink at you so that we can, you know, play to our strengths, um, you know, find a way to to win and, and play to those strengths on the given day. You know, a funny, funny story, you'll like this, as a goalkeeper, Anna, we had about 10 years ago, um, I had a converted field player turn, turned into our goalkeeper, and she was great, and uh, she's now the head coach at Rhodes in uh, Memphis, but she was a forward for, for two years, and she was really good in the air, and she's six foot tall, and a freak athlete in, in terms of being able to be a great basketball player, volleyball player you know, and, and she could get a job done. She really wanted to play goalkeeper, so we tried. But She was so good in the air. Every corner kick we took, uh, if we were losing or we were tied, she um, to, she's going to get some chances because she's that good in the air and she's that dangerous. And we had we had taught our, our backs that, okay, if this happens, I do get a counter opportunity, you know, um, we need to make a – a friendly foul at midfield or something like that, you know, or kick it out of bounds. Till Katie got back, we would do that. But uh, we never got countered on and she scored six goals on the year, including three in the NCAA tournament. Um, So it was a strength and people actually, uh, a lot of other teams and I talked to them afterwards, you know, they would, Focused so much on the counter attacking thing that they didn 't do a good enough job on the marking her out and you know six game winning goals pretty good deal um, for a goalkeeper, so uh, having some fun I think that 's a big part of it is uh, we had a ton of fun doing it, and because of the system and because of these um, unique things, everyone was bonded together, everybody knew what the rules were everybody um, wanted uh, the same thing you know we our bench was always up standing up cheering you know with cheer when we made the other team force them to kick it out of bounds deep in their territory right that was a big deal because guess what we had some people had long throwing and they're going to chuck it right in the box and it's going to be a dangerous situation so we wanted to utilize that that you know we're gonna we're gonna cheer for that you just did your job deep you know um earn your stripes on the defensive side of the ball was something that we were really proud of but it also that energy we put forth, you know, on the defensive side was going to open up opportunities for the next person too. And, and the depth played a huge deal, right? So in tournament, you play back to back games and division three. And, and because we were able to play 25 people in a game, you know, we were deeper than everybody and we were able to you know, go out and, and out compete them and outlast them. And, and especially on day two of a, of a two day NCAA tournament weekend, or, you know, we might still be even at halftime a lot of games, but we would wear them down second half and we would we would take over because we our fresh legs would just would come to the top um, as the game went along. Um, but then you had injuries and that didn't really seem to phase us because, you know, if you lose one starter and you only have 14 that play. Okay, that's a big deal. But if you have 25 that play and you lose one starter, you know, next person in, step up. Um, and I also think our bench stayed engaged, which was a huge deal for me, like you knew you were going to play. And if you did well, your minutes were going to go up. Like if you were on fire that game, you, you might stay in longer and you might come back in the second half more. Um, if especially if you're coming off the bench, or maybe the the system looked different that day, we needed more forwards. And so we, we, you know, more forwards get a chance to play, or maybe we had a lead and the other team was throwing stuff at us and we added some defenders. And so you got more of a chance. Um, Maybe we needed a, a big player who could win the air. Maybe we needed a more technical player. And, uh, and so every day was a little bit different in regards to, to who was able to step in. It wasn't just the same, you know, starting 11 or the same formation every game. It was, okay, what's the other team going to allow us to do today? Can we get away with it? I and mean, there's games where we started with two defenders, you know, and uh, played a two five three, you know, and really just poured it on teams. There's times where I'd play with one in the back we were down a goal and we would just mark their target forward and, and then push everybody forward to try to get goals. So it was a unique system, Uh, you know, probably telling all my secrets here, but that's all right. Um, You know, trying to, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I think the buy-in we were able to get was, was fantastic. It was definitely a, a harder system for players who hadn't ever done anything like that to learn. A lot of times it took some, you know, a year to really figure out how we were playing if you were in our system. But uh, but once you got it, you loved it.
0: The story you had told the player you mentioned, it was now coaching beforehand. I had told you I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about your put your players that are now coaching and you gave me a list. How many players that are now coaches were on that list? And were you surprised by that number?
1: I was surprised, you know, I was trying to count them and I'm like, oh, you know, there's five or six, right? And I think there's like 15, right? I don't Something like that. There's maybe 15 to 20. And, um, you know, there's more than I even, you know, I don't think about them all on a regular basis, like every day. Um, but there is, it's, it was great to see, you know, in terms of my, um, me thinking about, you know, my career at Loris and things like that. It's certainly something I'm proud of is, is the number of people who played under me that, that coach. And I think kind of going back to what I was just talking about, Anna it was just the fun, I think we had, um, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of things you had to do. We were, We were disciplined to do those and, and, and that made for a successful program, but the love for each other and, ability to understand someone's strengths and that strength might be better on a given day and being okay with that, um, being okay with your sub scoring and, that, and uh, not being in a situation where uh, there's jealousy or you think you should be on the field. And that is something that um, I think was a really big part of our success, um, especially from, you know, 2005 to 2015. 15 were really high on the national scene. You know, we were, we still had some really good years after that, but, um, you know, those were big pieces to the puzzle. But I also think it's a really big part of why, um, I hope at least why a lot of my former players have gone into the, the coaching and, and, uh, whether it's college, um, high school, um, club, there's, there's a number of people on there that I didn't even list that are our club coaches. um, you know, and doing it maybe part time or just you know after work or whatever that might be. So I hope it was they really enjoyed their time as a college coach. We talked about it, you know, a lot about when you're done giving back. Um, it wasn't just giving back um, while you're at Loris, and um, but there was you know some give back right away. Obviously, help the younger guys out and, and younger younger girls and make the season the next year better you know, um, after you're graduated, but once you're off and off and running, you know, don't, don't waste this opportunity. You know, there's others out refereeing, you know, I think that's another, um, great thing. You know, we got plenty of alumni who are pretty successful soccer referees in a pretty high level. And, and, uh, that's another way to give back to the game. So I, I hope it comes from that enjoyment they had, um, playing in our, our program, um, like I said, the system we played the last 10 years, and I did that with the men and the women. Um, it was just easier to coach both teams kind of playing the same way, to be honest. And uh, But, you know, we didn't always play that way. You know, we had played a 3-5-2, more possession type style, my first, um, you know, 10 years or so as well. But at the same time, I still think we had that fun and that discipline. Um, you know, even my first two Final Fours, we were a, little, a lot more, possession oriented and things like that. So I think it comes down to to the enjoyment part.
0: When you're coaching a player, can you tell if they have the attributes of a coach?
1: Gosh. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes, right? And sometimes they surprise you. Um, I had plenty that I kind of knew would be great coaches, right? And they – Leaders on the field, and you could tell um, that they would be uh, primed for it. Then I had some others who um, maybe I didn't think that about, but then when they got into that um, field, they really shined. So um, sometimes, you know, maybe I'm more quiet player, or maybe, you know, somebody isn't they're more quiet as a player, but when they get to be the coach, they're a little bit different. I think a unique thing, and I, I, I want to mention this again, I kind of did at the beginning, and how I started as a coach was in Iowa, high school soccer for boys and girls is in the spring. And then the fall season, the soccer season at Division three. you know, um, we have a limited spring season. So um, I had the opportunity to to start coaching high school as a sophomore in college, right? And then that evolved into becoming – a head high school coach. And, and, you know, before I even graduated, I had, you know, some fantastic experience and and really fell in love with coaching. And a lot of our players at Loris, um, you know, under my watch, had that opportunity. Um, the local high schools would call and say, hey, we need an assistant coach this year. Coach, who do you have? Uh, we need a head coach. Do you have anybody that's ready? Um, and they were able to get there you know, feet wet at the high school level while they were still in college, um, get a unbelievable, you know, paid internship, if you will, um, where they just build their resume. And, you know, so when they were able to, to move on, it was time to go for their first college job or their assistant job or, or uh, our grad assistant job or whatever it was, their resume was, tons better than, you know, the kid who was in a state where ball soccer for college was the same time as, as high school soccer, and they didn't get that, that experience. So to be able to have that um, in our backyard was a, I think, a big player in that coaching tree that that I, uh, that I mentioned, you know, 15 to 20 players out there coaching college soccer, because like me, they all got that experience and you know still today i'm still recommending people for you know the high school jobs in the area and you know things like that some young people who would be great opportunities and and uh like i said some were ready some were ready right away and kind of the born leaders of our team and others were all right well this says they say they want to coach i don't i don't know yet and then um they would turn out to really fall in love with it and uh groom their way through it i ran into one of my players today at the showcase and honestly I didn't even know she was coaching so add another one to that she's an assistant coach at a community college in the Chicago land and, and uh, you know, I didn't even know she was doing it and she's like I just love it so much I'm a nurse but you know I do this on the side because I, I love it it's more fun right and, uh, and then I think that's a big uh, hopefully a big thing that they learned from our program and when I was coaching is just the enjoyment of that piece and the, the fun part of it and uh, never take ourselves too serious and and, uh, but, yeah, when it's go time, it's go time. I think we flipped the switch. When it got to the field and we got between the lines and it was game time, you know, we flipped the switch and turned it on, and it was, you know, we're going to win the game. But well, as soon as the game was over, you know, we were able to, uh, to move on and, and uh, hold our heads high, win or lose, and, and have a smile on our face and have a lot of fun. So um, that was a big part of it for me.
0: But before we wrap up, can you talk a little bit about Key City Soccer Association and the goals of the association?
1: Yeah, I will. Yeah, got a lot of things going on, don't I, Anna? So, um, yeah, the uh, Key City Soccer Association, I started uh, five years ago, maybe six. Um, so my oldest son, Danny, is 14. Um, you know, we kind of started as a after-school program, um, you know, when he was... Uh, maybe first or second grade, where we would get kids after school to train and play together, and and some of his friends. So two days a week, I take a couple of my Loris players over to his school, and we would, you know, have a functional practice, and um, and it was it was fun. Again, going back to getting more kids playing, right? I don't know that a lot of these kids would have played otherwise. And so there was no after school sports in the elementary and I was offering an opportunity for some elementary type school sports and, and a ton of kids took that opportunity. Well, you know, now they're looking for game opportunities and there were so many kids doing it that I went to another school and started that and, and um, you know, had a couple more players helping out. So we had a couple different uh, farm systems, if you will, going and we decided, you know, what, let's try this. Let's, have, uh, let's try a team. We'll try one team, you know, his age group and
0: him and his buddies
1: and let's start a little team. And we did that and it kind of grew into, um, you know, two teams and three teams and and kind of built its way up. You know, we're we're not huge by any means. Um, We don't have every age group. Our oldest is U14, you know, because that's his age group and that's where we started. Uh, We have some kind of building from the bottom up. So the younger teams we're building up through there and trying to get more younger kids playing and then, you know, you'll eventually age out of it. But, um, you know, that is where it, it's origins. Um, it, it's kind of changed, uh, you know, through time, like I said, it was just kind of a thing for him and his buddies and then it was through his school and now it's through the whole city of Dubuque and it's trying to get more kids playing. Um, like I said, at the beginning at a reduced cost, um, you know, at an at affordable cost, Um, we do things a lot differently. We have, we don't have tryouts. Um, we don't have, we have two registrations a year. Um, we have a a fall and a spring registration because maybe a kid is a a softball or baseball kid, right? In The spring. And and maybe they want to focus on that in the spring. So maybe they'll only play the fall season. Um, and and vice versa, there might be a a football kid in the fall and, and you don't need to make decisions on what sport you want to focus on at, at age nine, that's not what I, I believe in, you know, I'm, I have a physical education degree and uh, two actually. And, um, you know, I believe in, in being active and, and finding your passion and things like that. So, and then it kind of evolved in even more, you know, we had, um, uh, wanted to get you know, not just have a lesser cost, so more kids would play, but we also wanted to open it up to community members that maybe, Marginalized community members, you know, maybe um, people who weren't given those opportunities to play, didn't know where to find them, uh, didn't uh, didn't always trust in that. We um, had a great Rodell Fierro, who's now played for me. He turned out to be my director of coaching for a couple of years while he was a student at Loris. um Kind of ran the program for me, to be honest. Um, you know, he was a, a Latino. Um, he's on podcasts before when you might want to get on he's a dreamer so he's um you know he's been through a lot in terms of politics and how this whole thing works with him but he wanted to get more people playing and you know get the latino community more involved and getting the minorities more involved and getting areas of uh that maybe wouldn't always be uh know where to find these opportunities and so red was really helpful in getting that off the ground and, and then
0: uh And we went
1: out and sought a lot of sponsorships and grants and partnerships. Um, You know, we had a partnership with our field, so we could train without having to pay um, a field fee. Um, We got a lot of sponsorships and grants to cover costs um, so that our costs could be minimum. Um, We have a recreational side of it, so we still have um, some recreational beginning, you know, pre-K up through, you know, whenever you can, you can continue to be rec in our program. Um, we have a three on three in-house league, um, Sunday afternoons, which we make everybody do, whether you're, a um, select player and maybe one of the best players in our program, or you're brand new, you get to be part of this three on three program. And we expect, okay, if you're a one of our seasoned players and uh, veterans and and know the game really well that you're going to guide some of these players who haven't played much and you're going to be a leader. And that's where you're going to learn some leadership and you're going to learn how to, to, to help us coach and really give back that way. So, um, so there's some different things we've done, you know, and we weren't in a rush this year to get back with the pandemic in terms of getting back to our normalcy, you know, going to league games and things like that. We, we, We stayed in-house, you know, this whole fall. We just played, um, you know, amongst each other, three-on-three. You know, I think three-on-three is a great way to teach the game. You know, you get more touches. You get um, more chances to score. It's more fun that way. You know, it's not just someone's hiding on the field or isn't involved. And and we mix up teams. You don't just show up and have the same team. You know, you show up on a given night, you don't know who's on your team. And that's at all levels, 3K through – you know, 14. So you know, we mix it up that way. Um, so we, we try to make it a lot of fun and, uh, you know, create more opportunities for kids so that they, you know, have those opportunities to, to touch the ball more, to have fun playing and to, um, you know, utilize the process of loving giving back to the game.
0: I think we have made it to our final question, which I ask every guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world?
1: Yeah, great question. Thought about it. Um, Yeah, I think, like I said before, and I think, you know, my impact, I want to say people left loving the game more when they were done with a program I was working with um you know they found uh you know a way to to find their perfect fit in the game you know and i think that's kind of what i'm i'm trying to find you know it might be your perfect fit is you know playing in college and top student athlete can help you it might be recreation's the highest level you might ever get to you know And, and that's fine too and and i can help you find that you know eighth grade recreational soccer might be your, your your final straw but you loved soccer up until that point but you had other things going on um maybe you become a referee you know i've gotten involved i didn't even mention this and i that i've become a you know a busy referee and i do that you know a lot and i have a lot of you know college high school club games things like that so finding your fit in the game um and then through love and fun i think those are the things that uh I hope you remember.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You bet. That was great. I uh, had some great questions and, uh, hopefully people find it intriguing. Hopefully, you know, if I ever get back in the college coaching game, you know, no one steals my <laughs> ideas too much, but, um, you know, it was, no, I love talking about that stuff. You know, I talk about it at nauseum with people I, uh, even coached against, uh, you know, and, and, uh, it's just a hard thing to prepare for. So nobody really wanted to spend the time to do it. So, but, uh, yeah, a lot of fun to talk about those different things and, and, uh, you know, go back a little bit and, uh, you know, look back on the coaching side and the style of play and the fun we had doing that, but also the, the people we had. Right. And, um, and then what we're doing now. So I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, You know, this has been an awesome podcast you're putting on, and I'm a a long time listener. So, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course, and thanks for listening too. Dan shared so many amazing stories. He obviously loves this game like no other. I think he could talk on and on about the game, and he comes from so many different points of view, which is actually interesting. Coaching women and coaching men, and recruit the recruiting business, and starting Key City Soccer Association and also officiating. I know for myself, once I started officiating, I definitely had a different point of view in terms of what I'd said when I was a coach and what I said as I was a, when I was a player as well. When you get yelled at as an official, you definitely think more about what you're doing in your game. And I think Dan, I remember Dan talking just a little bit about that, about catching himself when he gets heated or when he blows up just slightly. I hope you enjoyed the episode today and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful.